Well, I want to say hi to everybody in this room and people joining us at all of our campuses and online. Uh, the news from the fires just continues to be heartbreaking. Uh, we're grateful for every gift card that's being given this weekend. Grateful that we'll have $40,000 because of your generosity, just in an ongoing way to be able to give to the Convoy of Hope. Uh, grateful to people who want to give towards long-range rebuilding. I had breakfast with the guy, part of our church on Thursday, who said somebody had asked him to give for fire relief, and he said yes, and then he thought he'd also like to give to fire relief through our church if somebody asked him. So I asked him, and it turns out he wanted to give $10,000. And I thought, what a difference it makes when you ask people. So consider yourselves asked. And we will pray, and we will love, and give, and seek to serve the best way that God enables us to do in Jesus' name. Because that's what it means to be the church. A couple weeks ago, we had a weekend where we walked through what Paul calls the message of the cross and then invited people to make the great exchange where I actually come to the cross and I lay down my sins and my wounds and uh, my weaknesses and I receive his forgiveness and his healing and his strength. And afterwards, we invited people to come up and pray. And after every service, the prayer time extended quite a while. And many of those prayer times were filled with a lot of tears. And I was reminded again of what holy ground we stand on when we listen to people tell their stories with God. And I wished everybody could have been up here with me hearing those stories. One young woman said, my English isn't very good and my faith is not very strong, but I want to give my life to him and pointed to the cross. A mom came up with three children and they hugged each other while they prayed because their family's going through some stuff. Another young man came up and said, I don't believe in God yet. I'm not ready to give my life to him yet, but there are things going on in my life that I cannot explain. So it'd be okay if you prayed for me. And I thought, here is somebody who has the integrity to want to follow truth and the humility to seek help. And I have a pretty good idea where his story is going to end up. There was another woman who came up on this platform and she was elderly and she was frail and had a real hard time navigating those stairs. But she wanted to come and stand by the cross. And she said, I have some unfinished business with God. And we prayed. And when we finished, she just said to me quietly, I guess I'm just an old lady. And it was so poignant. And I said, I bet you're not that much older than me. And she said, oh, I'm not that old. Uh, <laughs> actually, she was kinder than that. But I was reminded when I got home at the end of that weekend, so grateful uh, but also feeling the intensity of those moments that everybody has a story. Everybody here, everybody listening, everybody at every campus, everybody online has got hopes and dreams and burdens and battles that are too deep for words and very often too private to see. And when they are told with raw honesty at the foot of the cross, then you know, then you know, you are on holy ground. It was so interesting, gang. Some folks would walk up at the close of that service and just reach up here and, and touch the cross or, or would want to just kneel down and pray beside it because the cross is the place where God turns stories around. For 2,000 years now, the cross is the place where God turns stories around. 
We're baptizing folks this weekend at campuses all over the Bay Area. I'm so excited. People have been getting baptized for 2,000 years. And this weekend, we get to celebrate that all over the place. And for some of you, this will be the first time that you might ever have seen a baptism. So I want to talk about it a little bit. Baptism is an expression in a public way of somebody who has put their trust in Jesus and become his follower and and and. The water is, among other things, kind of a symbol of cleansing, and that's part of why it gets used. And what happens when you get baptized is it's an expression of the fact that in Jesus, you get a new story. We're in this series called Cross-Examine, and in this weekend, we're going to examine how your story is not over yet, if you're still alive, and the cross is the place where God turns stories around. Uh, Paul actually talks about baptism one time in this letter, the first letter to the church of Corinth that we've been looking at together. And here's how he talks about it. Really interesting image. He says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized with Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, you might not know baptism wasn't actually practiced the way that we do in the church way back in Moses' day. Paul's using this as kind of a picture or an image when he talks about Israel getting baptized with Moses in the cloud and the sea. He's referring to a quite famous story in the Old Testament. For God's people, for Israel, the primary, the central narrative of their history was always the story of their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. A rabbi named Michael Goldberg says that the exodus was for Israel what the crucifixion would become for Christianity, the master story, the primary narrative where we get our bearings for all of the rest of Scripture and history and life. And for Israel, it was that time when they were in bondage. It was cruel. It was oppressive. It was sometimes genocidal bondage to Egypt for 400 years. And they cried out to God, and God heard, and God cared, and God raised up a leader named Moses, and God intervened for little Israel by bringing the plagues against Egypt, and the mighty Pharaoh's will was broken, and he let God's people go. Now, God was leading Israel in a quite unique way. We're told in Exodus chapter 13, by day, the Lord went ahead of them in the cloud to guide them on their way. It was a pillar of cloud, but in it was the presence of the omniscient, all-wise, all-knowing God. So the first people to have all their information stored in the cloud was not Amazon or Google or Al Gore 30 years ago. It was little Israel 3,000 years ago. God in the cloud led them to the edge of the Red Sea. They're camped out by the water. And they started out this journey, as many of us do in life, with great courage. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 8, it says, The Israelites were marching out boldly away from Pharaoh. But Pharaoh changed his mind about letting these people go. And in the very next verse, the Israelites see Pharaoh and his armies coming after them. They are trapped now between Pharaoh on the one side and the Red Sea on the other. And Moses tells them God's plan is for them to march straight into the sea. And we wonder, how bold will they be now? text says, they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. 
Now, of course, they didn't say that to Moses when they were in Egypt. When they were in Egypt, they wanted Moses to bring them out of there. But they had not bargained for this. It looked like their story was going to be over before it even started. And then Moses said these amazing words to the people. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Lord will fight for you. You need only stand still. But it may be that privately Moses felt as panicked as the people did because God immediately says these amazing words to Moses. Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Move on where, Lord? Into the sea. Hold up your staff. I'll part the waters. It'll be okay. Charlton Heston will do it in the movie years later. It'll look really cool. Go ahead. Now, going down into the water looked like certain death to them. And in a way, it was. They were dying to their old identity. They were going to have to die to their fears. They were going to die to an old way of life. But in, here's why Paul talks about this story. When they would come out of the water, they would come out into something new. Because with God, your story is never over. And they trust God. And they step into the sea. And God parted the waters with a strong wind. And they passed through the sea with a wall of water on their left and a wall of water on their right. And God defeated their enemies. And when they came up out of the water, this is important for understanding the meaning that Paul gives to baptism to this picture. When they came out of the water, they stepped into a new reality. When they went down into the water, they were slaves. When they came up out of the water, they were free. When they went down into the water, they were in mortal danger. When they came up out of the water, they were safe in the hand of God. When they went down into the water, they lived just like everybody else in the ancient world. When they came up out of the water, it was to go to Mount Sinai and to receive the covenant of the God who loves them and the Ten Commandments. And they had a new way to live that would change the world. When they went down into the water, they were terrified. When they came up out of the water, they were dancing. Literally, the next chapter in Scripture is thought to be the first hymn ever sung to God. A woman prophet named Miriam, Moses' sister, helped to write it and dance to it, and they all sang, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. When you watch people get baptized, sometimes somebody will come up out of the water like this. And that is because they have experienced the victory of God, often in ways that you cannot see and do not know. It's holy ground. Something was holding them back or was resisting God or there was guilt or there was fear and they thought that it would haunt them as long as they live. And when they come out of the water, there is this realization that God's love and God's forgiveness and God's mercy and God's grace and God's power have triumphed in their life. When the people of Israel went down into the water, they didn't have a God story. They'd heard about Abraham and Sarah. They'd heard about Joseph and how God delivered him from slavery and prison, but that was a long time ago. That was somebody else's story. When they came up out of the water, now they had a story of their own. And God was no longer just the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He was their God. I wonder if you have a God story of your own. When they came, when they went down into the water, uh, they felt like victims. They felt like slaves. When they came up out of the water, they had a new identity. There's a wonderful picture of this in the Exodus story. Now, in the book of Exodus, in the first chapter, the Pharaoh decides that he wants to decrease Israel's population. He's concerned that they are multiplying too rapidly and gaining too much power. And again, this is an evil 
uh, force against Israel. So the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Puah, if you see that the baby is a boy when you're delivering a little Hebrew baby, kill him. And they don't do it. These two women, named Shifra and Puah, in an act of extraordinary heroism, risk their own lives, defy the king to keep those babies safe. And when the Pharaoh calls them in to get them in trouble for this, they say, those Hebrew women just had their babies way too fast. We can't stop it. It's a very telling little detail in this story. According to the author of the book of Exodus, anybody know the name of that particular pharaoh that one of the little Hebrew boys killed? The text never says. We're never told. Now, this is quite deliberate. In the hierarchy of Egypt, Pharaoh was at the top. Everybody knows Pharaoh's names. In that same hierarchy, the midwives are at the bottom. They are servants to the slave women of Israel. Nobody would know their names. Plus, their names were not even that great, especially Pua. People often give their children Bible names. Nobody uses that one. Meet little baby Pua. Never happens. But in God's kingdom, they're heroes. So God is saying, Pharaoh who? The people that matter in this story are right here. Shifra and Pua. Their names are going in my book, not his. See, this is an early indicator. This is quite deliberate on the part of the writer of Exodus of what would later be called by some folks the law of inversion in the kingdom of God. The first shall be last, and the humble will be exalted, and a little servant will be the greatest of all. When you get baptized, your name goes in the book, and that is better than having your name in the cloud. There is no identity theft in that book. Do not be afraid. Only stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you. The Lord will fight for you. That's the promise. Very important part of baptism that Paul brings out here by referring to this story is that baptism, although it's very personal isn't a private thing. It's a public thing. This is something that God's people went through all together. And over the centuries, this promise would give people extraordinary courage for God-powered turnaround stories. As a pastor and civil rights leader, Andrew Young, and he writes about how it was on an Easter Sunday morning, 1964, that a group of people planned a march from New Pilgrim Baptist Church to the Birmingham City Jail where Martin Luther King Jr. was incarcerated for protesting segregation and racism. This movement was so overwhelmingly Christian that it was literally scheduled for after church. That's what time they said they would do the march, after church. And this is what Andrew Wright Young writes. By the time church ended, 5,000 people were gathered in their Sunday best clothes. For those of you under 30, that used to be a thing, Sunday best clothes. The marchers set out in joy. Suddenly they saw police, fire engines, and firemen with hoses in front of them blocking their path. Commissioner Bull Connor, who had used such brutal tactics even against children marching for civil rights, ordered them to turn around. 5,000 frightened people got down on their knees to pray. Suddenly Reverend Charles Billups, one of the oldest leaders on the march, hollered, the Lord is with this movement. Off your knees, we're going on. Bull Connor was furious. He yelled, stop him, stop him. This is what Andrew Young writes. But none of the police moved a muscle. Even the police dogs that had been growling and straining at their leaders were now perfectly calm. I saw one fireman, tears in his eyes, just let the hose drop at his feet. Our people marched right between the red fire trucks, sang an old gospel lament, I want Jesus to walk with me. 
Bull Connor's policemen refused to arrest us. His firemen had refused to hose us. His dogs refused to bite us. I'll never forget one old woman who became ecstatic and shouted as she marched through the barricades, Great God Almighty done part of the Red Sea one more time. Once more, when God's people got to the end of the march, something had changed. They were a little different. Freedom was a little stronger. Hate was a little weaker. So whatever, you problem, whatever problem you face, whoever your Pharaoh is, whatever might discourage you, these are your words. Fear not. Stand firm. See the foundation of the Lord, which he will work for you. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be still. And when we march, gang together as a church, to help victims of a fire, or to stand with the poor, or with somebody who is sick, or those who have been marginalized, or with aliens, or to proclaim the gospel and love of Jesus in word and deed. We never stand alone. When Jesus came, they tried to stop him with threats and fear. They put him in jail. They beat him with whips, crowned him with thorns. And when he stood firm, they hung him on a cross. But what they did not know is the cross is the place where God turns stories around. And on the third day, the father said to the son, hey, son, get up. This is not the end of your story. And Jesus came up out of his grave in victory. And when you get baptized, when somebody gets baptized, their story becomes part of Jesus' story. And if you've never done that, if you uh, have trusted in Jesus, but for whatever reason you've never gotten baptized, as you watch these baptisms this weekend, you might want to think about this. These, again, are words from Paul about the act of baptism. We were therefore baptized with him into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And humanly speaking, you might think you could never get a new start. That divorce, that depression, that disgrace, that failure, that addiction, that job loss, that abortion, that affair, that mental health problem, that crime... That prison term, that scandal, that was the end for sure. Oh, no, it's not. It's only Pharaoh. Pharaoh's going down. This is not the end of your story. God wants to free you from bondage. God wants to deliver you from that fear. God wants to turn your mourning into dancing. God wants to give you a new identity and a new purpose and a new way to live. God wants to write your name down in his book. If you say yes to him, if you go down into that water, which is a picture of God, my old life, my sin, my burdens, my old hopes and dreams, I'm surrendering all of that to you so that I can be raised up now with Jesus. Then your story is part of Jesus' story. You and Moses and Shifra and Pua and Paul and the Corinthians and Dr. King and millions of others. There is a place where human stories get turned around and it's called the cross. There is a place where a resurrection happens, and it's at the foot of the cross. And that is what we celebrate this weekend. What you're going to see now is somebody saying, by being baptized, now I'm making my story part of the Jesus story, which is great and glorious. Whatever it might look like on this earth, whatever I face, whatever my challenges, whatever my problems, I'm dying to my old way of life, 
My sins have been nailed to that cross. Pharaoh's going down. I have a new hope now. I have been raised up to Jesus' life. Because everybody's got a story. And it might be a story of real sudden change. Sometimes it's real dramatic. Sometimes it's a very long journey. Sometimes from the outside, it might look quite quiet or quite slow. But every human being fights a battle, a spiritual battle that nobody else can see. Every human being who turns to God is the object, Jesus said, of the raucous joy of the angels. So anytime you see somebody get baptized, you cheer them on like crazy. You give them heaven. Because they've come to the cross, and the cross is the place where stories get turned around. I felt like I was always seeking something deeper, like a deeper connection. I ended up going away to college and started hurting very heavily to the point where I developed alcoholism and addiction. Something led me to calling the right people, and they led me to a meeting where I could get sober. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I just drove. I believe that God just led me to the beach that day. I surrendered. I truly surrendered that day. And that was almost 17 years ago. I tried so many paths, um, but none of them ever satisfied that hunger in my soul. I always had this negative view of Christians. Began to date my boyfriend, and I found out that he was a Christian. I remember asking him, so Jesus is your Lord and Savior? I think those were my words. And he said, yes. And then I thought, oh, nuts. <laughs> what am I gonna do? I questioned. And I called my boyfriend, I was like, I think I may wanna be a Christian. So I'm like, how do I, how do I do this? <laughs> what are the steps? <laughs> and he just said, you know, it's simple. Just ask Jesus to live in your heart. Just open up your heart. One morning, I just had so much anxiety, and I was crying, and I just got down on my knees. And I did that. I asked Jesus to live in my heart, and I was crying and crying, and then immediately, tears were gone. I believe that God, he wanted me to be a part of the Christian family. And on that was September 9th, 2016. I wanted to get baptized to proclaim it to the community in Menlo and to tell my family and friends about it is huge for me. 
especially coming from where I used to be and how I have changed from the inside out saying yes, just like what my boyfriend said, yes, Jesus is his Lord and Savior, and to say that for myself, yes, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. It's pretty awesome. What I love about Menlo Church is Like, whenever I hear that, I just feel just a sense of peace. I still can't believe that this is my life.